This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm really pleased, really pleased. We didn't expect, honestly, to have nine points uh, after three games, but we, we, we did really well in all three games. Also today, the second half was really difficult because we, with the pressure uh, that Crystal Parra put on us, we were not able to play as we wanted with the ball, but uh, the spirit was good, uh, the concentration was good, we defended well, and sometimes where no, you are not able to play good football, you have to be there uh, with, a, with, a, with a good attitude. A lot of discussion again in the future because uh, Unfortunately, this is the new rules. Um, it, I think it's, it's also difficult for the referees to take the right decision. And, uh, but um, the only thing that we can do is to accept this and nothing more. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Everton boss Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, even he's admitting question marks over VR, despite his sight benefiting more than anyone over the weekend. Off the ball with me, Ross, and my very special guests. We've got Kishnan here. Hello, Kish. Hello, hello, Ross. You, you, you literally sound like you've just woken up at 8pm. That's, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's I'm terrific. Sick and tired of VR, Ross. I, I know, I know. It's going to be that kind of show. <laughs> Cam Roslan is also here. Hi, hello, Cam. Hi, Ross. And it's a very happy birthday to our third special guest. I hope you had a wonderful day today, Des Corkill. Yeah, thank you very much. And VAR, don't say you weren't told about this. Not this season, <laughs> not last season, but three seasons ago. I was right. By way of a present, we're going we're gonna to let Des rant a little bit of VAR today. You can, as usual... <laughs> Tweet at BFM Radio and, and follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram, on, on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel set up. It's TFIF on video. So much to talk about. We, we've had penalties awarded after the full-time whistle. We had VAR controversy. We've had shock results. We've got Jamie Vardy showing a turn of pace still at 33. It's all coming up. We start, though... Uh, with the Saturday game uh, from South East London, SE23, if I'm not mistaken. Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace 1, Everton 2. Dominic Calvert-Lewin opened the scoring with his fifth league goal of the season. He actually could have got two more in, in the game. He's really, really good. I think he's England's best header of the ball as a number nine. Uh, would you agree with that, Des? Well, he's certainly um, leading the line at Goodison in real fine style. I told you, I think, uh, last week on this show that there's a feel-good factor around Goodison Park. Carlo Ancelotti has made some astute signings. The team are playing with freedom and with confidence. They're getting the breaks, as in, in the VAR decision, but they're playing really, really well. And Calvert-Lewin, let's not forget, he was part of that England and the 20 team that won the World Cup. Yeah. So that little group of players were always expected to come good, and one of them was going to be world-class. Calvert-Lewin looks like he is so consistently strong, understands exactly what his job is, introduces teams into leads, scores an awful lot of very close-in goals, which is just what you want from a centre-forward. Yeah, it's, uh, it's looking good for Everton, and it's looking good for Calvert-Lewin as the, as the bulldozer at the, at the very front of that. It's um, a very, very good win. Asterix VAR. <laughs> Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin becomes the first Everton player to score in three consecutive matches at the start of the season since Stephen Naismith in 2014. Uh, Keish, do you reckon, A, Calvert-Lewin is, is due a, a call-up in the next international... I mean, he, he looks a decent shout for a number nine. And B, also, can Everton keep up this good form with James Rodriguez pulling the strings and all that? I tell you what, Ross, I'm going to raise my hands up here and say that I've been absolutely wrong about Calvert-Lewin. We've had this discussion um, multiple times about whether or not Everton need a new striker. And to be fair, I've always insisted that they need one. I think most fans weren't entirely convinced by Calvert-Lewin as well. He, he is capable of scoring goals, did score a lot of goals, especially last season. But the way he's just started this season, I think he's caught everyone off guard. I think it's the new hairstyle. <laughs> it's making him look 
it's giving him a whole different mojo, a whole different feel at the moment. And he, he's got this air of confidence, that air of uh, confidence that you usually see in a classic number nine. And he's got that. Uh, and I tell you what, I think Everton can keep going. And it's not just down to him. He's obviously a huge part of it. You need goals up front in any game. But what Everton have got in that midfield, it's... We, we have spent years, Ross, I mean, mm. just complaining about Everton's lack of presence in midfield. But it's, I think they finally have that balance at the moment yeah. with Alec, Ducore, with James Rodriguez. It's a real good balance in terms of one guy who just protects the defence in Allen, another guy who's a complete box-to-box player in Ducore, and then you've got James, who just operates in this free role, uh, you know, primary uh, uh, creator of chances for Everton. Yeah, don't forget and, Nuno and... Gomez in there as well, looking very useful, <laughs> spraying the balls. No, that, that the midfield is, is really, really strong. But, but Cam, this game basically turned on, on that VAR decision. I mean, in any walk of life, it's really unlucky that Joe Ward got a handball awarded against him. I mean, well, I don't know how many times you need to look at that, right? Well, that's the rules now, isn't it? I mean, if I, I've never really been in favor of VAR and stuff. I like uh, human faults. I think that you have to factor in the, 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 the referee is a human. He does the best he can. Everyone's doing the best they can. But now it's with VAR. And how can you differentiate between uh, intentional handball yeah. and just the ball hitting the hand? You gotta just, it's just a flat uh, default agreement. Touches the hand, that's so that. The, the way I understand it, at the moment, the on-pitch referee only gets to look at the screen when the VAR referee, in a remote position, says, hey, mate, maybe you should have a look at this one because we're 50-50. So that only happens. Uh, that means we're getting two sets of interpretations here, Des Corkill, immediately, aren't we? Absolutely. This has always been my big, uh, big thing against VAR is that you are taking away the authority of the referee on the pitch to make the decision. That has always been what it's about. Plus the, the expense and the different the way you differentiate between the leagues. But you are reducing the influence of the referee. You may as well not have a referee out on the pitch. Just make it like a, a FIFA and somebody will whistle from the crowd. And that, that's where we're going. It is stupendously stupid because you are taking the human touch and the human frailties and the decision-making. A referee can see if there's intent. He can see where the eyes mm. are looking at the ball. He can see if it is a foul rather than if a ball has hit somebody on the hand and he cannot do anything about it. That has always been my problem. Cam is dead right. The laws say if the balls hit the hand, then it's a penalty. It's yeah. a crap law. We yeah. don't know who made that law. We don't know who introduced that law. It wasn't a player. It wasn't somebody who was thinking, oh, we've got to be fair. What it was, was somebody saying, oh, we've got to have equality for everybody, any decision. <laughs> so you take any opportunity of any kind of rational judgment out. I warned you this was going to happen. I warned you repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly this was going to happen. And it has happened. And not enough people screamed and shouted about it. I tell you what, if something's crap at the start, call it crap as it is, because it is crap uh, 10 years later. Yeah, well, let, let's, let's be, be clear here. VAR itself isn't the problem. It's the referees. It's the laws ruling it and the interpretation. Right now, that's one VAR. Only one VAR example we've given you from the weekend's football. We move on and talk about Saturday's early kickoff. Brighton 2, Manchester United 3. They, they United went behind, fought back to 2-1. Marcus Rashford with a really nice goal. And then they sat back, as the new Man United do, does these days, um, Solly March scores a really good equaliser. Header. Maguire nowhere to be seen. And they play 100 minutes. Maguire has a chance at the end. Referee blows for full time. Penalty uh, after VAR consultation, Keish, was awarded. Um, it was handball. I mean, if, if you follow, because uh, Lindelof had exactly the same handball awarded against him against Crystal Palace. So if, if you're talking about consistency of the law here, they're following it, following it to the letter, aren't they? 
Yeah, there's there's two separate issues here, right? I mean, one, we obviously don't like the new handball rule. But under the context of the rule, regardless of whether we like it or not, was that a handball? It probably was. We've seen it being given all the time. But the other issue was the fact that uh, the you know VAR was consulted and a decision was awarded after the whistle had been blown. I think that's the one that, that got to people a lot because essentially prior in, in a pre-VAR world, uh, situations like this would never emerge. If the whistle is blown, the whistle is blown. It's done. You cannot reverse a decision anymore. But when you have VAR, when you acknowledge that it will take a bit of time to review, when you do acknowledge that there is a potential to review an incident and the fact that final whistles can be blown in an instant without really paying attention to it, then it opens up this whole new world of, okay, there needs to be an avenue to review decisions after the final whistle as well because final whistles can be blown at any point without really thinking, taking into consideration what has just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the one that's, that's, that's getting to people a lot. Um, that's VAR. But the game, Ross, I mean, the game, I know Man United won the game. I know Solskjaer was looked really, really glad at the end. Um, I think Man United fans were relieved as well to have won the game. But it's papering over the cracks. This could have been a game where Brighton score five more goals. Literally, the, the, the width of all the Five world. times. Yeah. The first ever team in the history, since Opta began to record these stats, the first ever team in Premier League history to score, to, to hit the post five times. And that's, that's insane because that shows you that Brighton could have scored five, five other goals and yep. it could have easily been seven yep. for Brighton. So, that's how poor United were at the back. So, Des, they've only got themselves to blame. Not this VAR nonsense then. Hey. <laughs> yeah, so, so Brighton played very well. That should be the story. Brighton played very well. Extraordinarily unlucky. I love Keisha's little comments. In history, or oh, since Opta started doing stats. <laughs> I tell you, Keish, football existed for a hundred years before Opta came no, along. Does. And then this is com- this is completely different from Premier League being introduced in ninety two ninety three. This is May- we just didn't have Opta. We just didn't. Also, oh, so we only take Opta stats. So I tell you what, Dixie Dean sixty goals do not count because they weren't on Opta. <laughs> and, and the thirteen times he hit the crossbar in that game reportedly. We <laughs> Cam, what well, Brighton, you- Bright, Brighton played very well, and they're they're one of Cam's many teams. I think. Brighton. Well, exactly. I was. That's why. That's why I was coming to him. Cam, they're going to be all right though, Brighton. Looking at what we've seen. Um. Really, last week we were saying that they're not going to be all right. I don't um, know. They, they look really good. They, they were by far the better team. Let's face it. Nobody watching that game will said Man United deserved that. Well, it's been it's been pretty commonplace that people have been saying opponents to to Man United are by far the better team. Um, a couple of things that cropped up for me. One was it's a small point of uh, point of order. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was watching a video screen. Um, I don't think he's allowed to do that. He was watching replays, etc. As far as I know, you're not allowed to do that. But Ole's such a nice guy, I guess they let him How off. How do you um, know? Maybe he was on Amazon no, watching all or nothing. I'm not sure if those are video replays. I think coaches get access to live data at the point these days. That they can track the players' data live uh, as okay. the game is going on, and they allow it. To. No one I'm knows not, more not, about data sure. than much stats. No, no, no. There. <laughs> yeah. maybe, no, I'm not. Maybe I, I, I really am not sure if, if that what uh, if he was watching the highlights or not. But I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt because I do know that coaches these days get live access data with with the. You, you both raise, yeah. You both raise a very interesting point there. If if it was replaced, then yeah. I mean. That wouldn't he do a better VAR job then? <laughs> but um, okay, okay. Ole time. That was Ole time. That was maybe that's the first viewing of Ole time. That was what? How many minutes was that in to extra time at the end? It was mm. Sunday. Crazy. <laughs> and I have never seen. Have you ever? I have never seen. Never thought I would see a final whistle being blown, and then a penalty being given. Leandro Trossard, the Brighton uh, midfielder, is, must be the most unluckiest player. He, he's hit the post so many, I think he's hit the post six times already this season, which is, which is phenomenal. I, I wonder what Opta says about that. It's, it's probably a record, isn't it? <laughs> All right, we move on to West Brom versus Chelsea. This one was, was, yeah, it was the late game, but it was worth watching because 
when West Brom race into a 3-0 lead, Keish, you go, hang on a second. Thiago Silva, culpable for goal number two. The ball literally went under his foot. Uh, Willy Caballero played in goal. So many talking points. The, the Chelsea defense was all at sea. And Slaven Bilic must be kicking himself. Yeah, you could see the frustration in the, in the post-match interview where he was just he was just so deflated. Uh, you know, you're saying things like the, the, the boys gave absolutely everything on the pitch, right? And it's just cruel. It's just so cruel um, for, for them to come out of it in, with a point. I mean, if you had offered a point to Slavon Bilic before the game, yeah. he would have taken it. That would have been abs- you know, absolutely brilliant. But to have had a 3-0 lead in the game and then to eventually come out of it with a, with a single point, it, it, it was really deflating. I mean, I want to point out this one player, Matthias Pereira, I think Whoa. he's a real, real, real <laughs> that move joy. He to made watch. that move and that he pass. Was brilliant. Yeah, there's that one back flick. Exactly. It was amazing. Uh, he, he's, he was really good in the championship last he's year. He's assisted well. three of West Brom's goals in, in the top flight so far this season. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was terrific in the championship last year, and there was a lot of question marks as to whether he was going to be able to reproduce that form in the Premier League because there's an Oh, there's the obvious golfing uh, quality, but you know Pereira has just stepped up, and he mm-hmm. looks absolutely brilliant at the moment. Just you know, comfortably assisting goals, comfortably playing a huge part from a creative standpoint. Um, but Chelsea, though, uh, was there any doubt that they were going to come out firing on all cylinders well, in the second this half? This is it, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Cam, have you ever watched a game where where the one team goes three nil up at halftime and you go? You know what? That's not enough. They need to get the fourth early on to get the points. <laughs> that was exactly what that game was like. Yeah, but uh, I felt that you know they could have gotten the fourth uh, because Chelsea are really bad at defending, and there are real question marks increasingly over Frank Lampard because sometimes you know sometimes a, a draw can feel like a victory, and I'm sure that the Chelsea players walked off that pitch feeling, oh, we did it, we we came back. And it might be that, that this will get their act together and they'll go on from here. Or it might be that we're just going to be seeing high scoring against Chelsea and they're going to get found out eventually. Mm. They can't keep always scoring more goals. They didn't on this occasion. As far as the baggies are concerned here, Des, I mean, they, they, they've proved, Village Society have shown that they've, they've got something going forward. If they can tighten up at the back, they, they might have hope. I mean, they haven't, they've spent hardly any money, right? Listen, this was a, this was a bad attitude. When they went 3-0 up, uh, they had that chance to, to make it 4. Yeah. But soon as Chelsea scored, I think even the commentator said, oh, now it's different. And if you've got a two-goal lead and you're, you're at the top flight, it shouldn't be that. It was no, as you said, as the boys have said, no surprise that Chelsea came back and scored those, which is real credit to Chelsea. Coming back from 3-0 down doesn't happen every day. But it also indicates that West Brom just sat back, sat back, sat back. You saw for the equaliser when Abraham got it. I think all ball one West Brom player was in his own penalty area when the ball hit the back of the net from Tammy Abraham. They just sat too deep and that invites problems. I've got a VAR question. Kai Havertz, he handled in the He did, builder. didn't he? He did. Um, VAR doesn't give that against, West, uh, against Chelsea. It, uh, it, uh, sorry, it doesn't give it for West Brom. Um, big clubs, small clubs, and VAR? Hmm, question. Village did bring that up. All right, I tell you what, we're going for a break. When we come back, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about VAR. Uh, stay, stay tuned, back right after this. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair, in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. They are off and running. In 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Cameras, Lantes, Corkill and Kish in the house talking about football, a VR-infused show this week. Spurs won, Newcastle won. It's not very often you feel sorry for Jose Mourinho and Tottenham Hotspur, Des Corkill, but they were absolutely robbed. I mean... Sure, they could have been more than one up at the time, but wow, eh? Wow. So, um, Darlow was magnificent. Let's just change 11 the focus. saves. Yeah, he was terrific. And they weren't ordinary saves. Four or five of them were, wow, 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 as you just said. <laughs> 
and, and so Newcastle uh, lived on their luck. They lived on their fortunes. Then they lumped the ball into the penalty area. It's never a penalty, ever, ever, ever. Steve Bruce actually was, was terrific afterwards um, in his post-match interview where he admitted as much that we've got away with one, said Steve Bruce, post-match. Uh, the goalkeeper saved us and it's never a penalty in a million years. Enough said. Cam, how, how, how do you write this wrong for the rest well, of the I, season? No, well, hang on a second. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Steve Bruce came forward and said that was never a penalty. But... Uh, this is becoming a very common theme now for Mourinho's, Ch- uh, Chelsea, Mourinho's Spurs to be absolutely hammering the opposition and failing to score. And there's some fault there because they've got excellent players. Maybe with the introduction of Bale, things will, yeah. will improve. But I, I don't know, any of you watched the playbook, uh, the documentary interview with Mourinho about, about being a coach that's on Netflix now? Uh, it's his, his words on his history as a manager. And the one thing that for me comes through is that he, I think he's just all used up. He's given as much passion and love as he possibly can to the likes of Inter. He's got nothing left for Spurs. Okay. I, I mean, I, I think you're being a little harsh there, Kevin. I mean, <laughs> in, the, in the last game, they just smashed five goals. And against Newcastle, they, you know, if, if it wasn't for Dalo, that could have been eleven. Son hit the, hit the bar in the post, didn't he? Yeah, they were, they were creating clear-cut chances. They were making so many shots on target. It wasn't a case of them not being able to create any chances. It was just a case of the goalkeeper being absolutely brilliant on the day. And in this case, it was. Newcastle's, mm. uh, you know, Dalo was, was just stopping a lot of the shots. And what, what, about, for him, what about Harry Kane in this new role as, as a creator of goals then? Yeah, no, I mean, Harry Kane has just sort of evolved a little bit as well. And it just... Just wanted to point out, like again, this is something that has transpired under Mourinho. Uh, I was just looking at some some numbers the other day, too, and there are some numbers that I mean, we can go on and on describing these numbers, but the numbers indicate that Harry Kane is less selfish in the final third under Mourinho, especially this season. That means when it comes to, to key situations in the final third, he's choosing to make that extra pass to someone as opposed to you know, making that shot. And I think that difference is helping Spurs a lot because when you have players like Son who loves to run in behind the defenders and, and you're getting someone like Gareth Bale who's going to do that on the other flank yeah, as well. Yeah. And, no, and I, I can't Harry wait to see Bale play. Yeah, I, I think once Bale is fit, and if Hurricane continues on the trajectory that he is at the moment, that Spurs front three in terms of output is going to match the best front three in the world if, if they can really hit the right, right sort of form at the moment. Because there's so much of potential in that and we're starting to see it. Mm. Des, you could see there were, there were images of Jose Mourinho destroying the touchline. <laughs> and, and rightly so. You just felt for him. You just thought, oh my God. He, he, he was, I'm sure, swearing in all, all languages. I'm sure he was, and I, I think it showed the passion is still there. Uh, Cam makes a, a very good point uh, that there's um, uh, an old adage that coaches do have a shelf life. They have only so much energy that they can give. But I think, I think Mourinho fancies this one because uh, people are, are talking him down and he sees this opportunity to try to make Spurs better than they were. Uh, it might be that it's uh, Mourinho who's introduced this Harry Kane, little dropping off. Kane can pass. He's very like Teddy Sheringham used to be in those days. And he can see those openings. Plus he can finish like nobody else. So I, I don't think Mourinho is, is a um, flushed out as, as, as Cam suggests. It will be difficult though because it's so hugely competitive up at the top of uh, you've got six or seven teams now uh, Everton are now in that pack as well who are more than capable of putting in long, long runs unbeaten. Um, uh, how you manage enough points to be competitive come the season's end, that's, that's the key. And Mourinho's still got that in him. Tottenham mm. will be there or thereabouts. Their record, his record uh, in the league is still pretty good. Uh, Carl Darlow's 11 saves in the game was the most by a Newcastle goalkeeper since Tim Krul made 14, also <laughs> against Tottenham, in November 2013, when stats were invented. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, oh, we, move, we move on, we move on, and, and talk about the Yorkshire Derby. Um, if I was a Leeds fan, and, and I'm not, but I would be rejoicing, because I'd go... My, my team shipped seven goals in the last two games. 
they kept a clean sheet in the Yorkshire Derby and won one nil. That's actually a really great scoreline for um, Marcelo Bielsa's side. Yeah, I mean, towards the end, I think you could see there's a lot of anxiety in terms of whether or not they were going to get this one over the line. Um, you could see that Leeds United were a lot more cohesive at the back. They must have spent hours at the training ground after considering you know, seven goals in your first two games. I don't think Bielsa would have been happy with that and they must have spent hours just trying to create that structure. Um, and to be fair, Sheffield United did, you know, rattle the cages every now and then. McGoldrick had a couple of chances. The two goalies um, played well, didn't they? They did, they did. I think... Uh, Mesley and Bowling. Yeah, I think they Not made Bowler. like seven or eight saves uh, in the game. So they were pretty good as well. But it's, it's, it's Bamford. He, I've got to... I've got to you know, I genuinely admire Bamford's career trajectory. And I think it's, it's down to Bielsa. I think it's down to his attitude on the pitch. Because this guy just never stops running. I, I, I'm really, really, really keen to see the distance he covers in every game. Because he, mm. he's the perfect Bielsa striker. And there's a reason why he played in 45 of Leeds United's 46 championship games last year. Even though, you know, it's, it's a long, hard season. But he plays in every game because Bielsa loves his work ethic. And on the 88th minute or the 89th minute, when you've got a striker who's, at, you know, who, from a mental standpoint, yeah. he's always ready. No matter how late in the game, he's just ready to make that run, ready to make that attempt, ready to make that header, whatever it is. He's always at the top of his game. Um, and I think that gave uh, Leeds United that, that bit of edge as well. And... I just also want to point out uh, that Luke, Luke Ailing was brilliant yesterday. The yeah. amount of crosses he was putting in, um, the amount of times he was involved in every single Leeds United build-up play. This Leeds team are going to be really, really difficult to break down. Marcello Bielsa, crazy genius or, 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 or just crazy, Kamraslan? Well, uh, one thing that uh, Kish mentioned there, which I, I think is very important, is that these players, they, they just look leaner and fitter than anyone else in the Premier League. Um, Bamford is a wonderful example, and I'm really looking forward to seeing if he, if he is the, the real deal. My concern would be that, as, as often happens with Bielsa, by the end of the season, they really need to get the points now, because at the end of the season, will they be able to maintain this kind of uh, tempo against a number of teams which are going to have a, a greater depth of squad than they have? Yeah, yeah. But, but it's a lesser number of games in the Premier League compared to the Championship. Uh, Des, should we be worried about Sheffield United this season? They haven't actually scored a goal yet. This yeah, is a very, team, yeah, this is a team very, who finished really high last season. I, I fear that they uh, weren't a one-season wonder. I think that the, the key to them last year was defensively. They kept a lot of clean sheets. They didn't score many. But... Dean Henderson moved away. I'm not saying Dean Henderson was such a magnificent goalkeeper. I'm saying Dean Henderson had such a, a great um, uh, understanding with his three centre-backs. Two he years come worth, out, right? Two years worth. He would have come out for the cross that Jack Bamford, um, yeah. Jack Bamford scored from. Uh, it's, it's just a different way. Ramsdale has played very well. He's made a number of saves, but it's not the same understanding. I've seen that on a couple of occasions. Um, Sheffield United were built upon not giving goals away. They were attractive, but they didn't score many last year. If they start to concede goals, even one goal a game, they're not going to be winning games. And I, I fear uh, defensively. I also think that um, the centre-back, uh, O'Connell, has been uh, ruled out for the rest of the yeah, season. Yeah, he, he, apparently uh, he needs an operation. So, yeah, they, they got so problems. So that, that changes the whole dynamic. And uh, I fear for Sheffield United, they'll be, they'll be nice to watch. But as the defeats rack up, um, I, I can see them getting really, really battered and, and left adrift at the bottom. Blades front pair, Ollie Burke and uh, McGoldrick, did not have a single shot on target between them in the game. Right, we're going for another break. We come back, we talk about shocking Manchester City next. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Cameras learn Kishnan and Des Corkill uh, here to talk football, tweets at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel up and running. It is TFIF on video. Well worth a gander. 
I say. Um, Man City 2, Leicester City 5. Yeah. When Riyad Mahrez opened the scoring for City with a sublime right foot shot, cameras, lad, I thought, whoa, uh, Brendan's side are on for a tonking here because De Bruyne is De Bruyne. He's there even without uh, a front striker with, with Raheem Sterling playing that false nine. You thought City were on their way. But... But, yeah, but wow, what a match. What a match. Uh, this was superb from, uh, you know, I, as I, a lifelong fan of uh, Leicester Foxes. And uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was uh, remarkably telling, maybe, about something about City. The defence work was terrible, but three goals, three penalties in exactly the same way. Jamie Vardy will get you penalties. They were not prepared for that, and then they repeated the mistake which is really unforgivable. The, the, the two goals that were scored in, in, in open play were magnificent. And, uh, but I don't, I don't know. I just, Guardiola has been at City now for, for a very, very long time. Quite, you know, More than three mark. seasons, right? Guardiola out. <laughs> <laughs> no, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I think, I think the fans, the fans it, it'll never come to a point where the fans say that uh, but but having said that, I mean, if you've been observing his body language in the last few months, uh, I think he's just been very, uh, you know, he, he doesn't look the same. He, he looks a bit fed up, doesn't he? Doesn't, he? Yeah, he doesn't exude the same sort of enthusiasm, the same sort of excitement, not just on the touchlines, but also in, in, in your press conferences, in interviews. And usually when, when you're coming on the back of like huge defeats, he's usually very defiant. He's usually very you know, uh, robust in terms of his responses. But uh, Guardiola just seems a lot more mellowed down in the last couple of months. Um, and and if you, even if you notice Kevin De Bruyne's interview after the Champions League exit, uh, when they asked him about like, what, what's, what's the plan next year, and, and all he just said at that point was like, I really don't know. At this point, I just need a break because every year it's the same thing. And I think that mood is being reflected across the Man City squad because even when they, when they started conceding goals, you didn't see people on the pitch just you know, rallying players. I mean, you, 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 could, you could credit that to the absence of someone like Vincent Company. They don't have a player like him mm. in the starting 11 mm. in the squad. Someone who's just you know, shouting instructions on the pitch, who's, who's leading the team by example. But at the same time, you, you just couldn't see a reaction. And you didn't see that reaction on the touchlines as well from Guardiola. Yeah. He wasn't as animated as he usually was. Especially in a game when you're conceding goals after goals. Yeah. Um, and, I think, and, and, and I think it's, it's a really fair question to, to ponder as to whether Guardiola is going to be at City any longer. Uh, whether it's next season, whether it's midway through the season, we don't know. But he hasn't signed a new deal yet. And even he is saying that the new deal isn't about whether the whether the owners want him to stay, it's about whether he feels he deserves to stay. Yeah, so yeah, a lot he, of he, talk. Mentioned, he mentioned earning a contract. Okay. Exactly, we're, yeah. yeah. We're, we're not taking anything away from Leicester here. So, Des Corkill, let's talk up Leicester City. 33-year-old Jamie Vardy surprised a few people in that game. I think that turn of pace, no one knew he was that quick. <laughs> um, that second goal was sublime. The way he got in front and, and, and just, just touched that in, it was beautiful. Lineker yeah, it, was sen- it was a sensational goal. I don't think Jamie Vardy is a surprise. He was uh, won the Golden Boot last year. So, uh, and I don't think his face is a surprise because he's been doing this um, for several years. That's what he does. He's got this little burst. You of reckon when he got the fourth penalty, he thought, "Ah oh, man, why did why didn't I stay on two more minutes?" <laughs> uh, that's his second hat trick, I believe, against Man City, which is uh, uh, he's, he's the only person to, person to do that. So Leicester, let's let's talk about Leicester and Brendan Rodgers and, and what he's done. Um, you look at their players individually, and I, I don't think they are as good man for man as the, the team, or in, on paper, as the team that won the title. But Brendan Rodgers has got this ability to improve teams. He hasn't, he hasn't won a title in the English Premier League. He was terrifically successful, let's not forget, in, in Scotland with Celtic. Um, but he's put together a team that played to a game plan, a very un like game plan. They were effectively 5-4-1 
for much of the game and hitting on the break with the pace of Barnes. Madison, when he came on, Vardy leading the line, but Vardy was incredibly deep. So they, they, they had a game plan. They stuck to it. I think Brendan Rodgers won the tactical battle against Pep Guardiola. And there's mm. the question about Pep. Has he got a plan B? And the answer was, without Aguero or Hayes as a front, they, they lacked that cutting edge. Liam Delac was all he had. So defensively, those three, the three penalties are all just bad individual errors. Garcia, it's a silly challenge. Um, uh, uh, Mendy, similar, just reaching yeah. around. I mean, it's a soft penalty in my book. In fact, all three are soft penalties. 20 years ago, none of them are given. These <laughs> days, they are, they are, they are all given. Um, so that's just bad defending. So where do you blame the coach and where do you blame the individual defenders? There, there, therein lies the problem. But it is very interesting. I still think City are a wonderful football team. Mm. But, but you, you give away three stupid penalties. You don't have a, a striker to, to lead the way. And then you've got a problem. Leicester had a game plan just to snuff them out. Brendan Rodgers, he's terrific. I, I said this in his Liverpool days. Uh, he is a terrific coach. And Leicester will again be challenging for that top six. Well, Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero will definitely be missing for next Saturday's trip to Ellen Road when City take on Leeds United. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm already in glee. Um, All right, let's talk about the late Sunday game uh, early this morning. David Moyes managing from home is the way forward for David Moyes because... A thumping 4-0, absolutely no one. Maybe a 4-0 Wolves scoreline you might have predicted, but no way. West Ham 4, Wolves 0, Cam Raslan. What happened there? Well, uh, David Moyes was not there. <laughs> well, I, I, I really hope that that, that isn't in, indicative of anything, but I must say that the, Wol- sorry, the um, West Ham players did look like they were really enjoying themselves. Uh, and, and I think that might also be down to a factor which I've been thinking might come into play, which is the empty stadiums at, at their stadium. Mm. The fans have been on their back for a long time, and I think that there might be a, sen- a more sense of a freedom that they can do their thing without being just harassed by, by the fans. And indeed, I don't know. I mean, David Moyes was not there. But, you know, uh, uh, good luck to David Moyes. He's uh, been tested COVID-19, which is not a good thing for anybody. And... Uh, and I've only, I only just discovered he's only three years older than me. <laughs> I, I swear he look, he's always looked like he's at least 60 years old. On the pitch, Keish, Jared Bowen was one of David Moyes' signings. Uh, he looks like he's a player who can make that step up from the championship. Because when he came, he, he looked useful. And again, chipped in with two goals here. He, he, he was a handful, wasn't he? Yeah, to be fair, I mean, uh, Ross, I think even when he came in in January, he already looked good. Um, he made an instant impact with the West Ham squad. Uh, he's got the pace to make those runs. He's, he's electric. Uh, but he's also really cool and calm in front of, in front of the goal as well. And, and in this game, we got a glimpse of that. Uh, I think Wolves you know, were just completely taken by surprise in this fixture. And I don't think they had the ability to respond because as soon as the first goal went in, you could see the reaction in everyone's faces. Everybody was taken aback. And after that, they were given absolutely no breathing space, no room to issue a response because West Ham kept going at them. Because I remember, I think, after the first goal, after Jared Bowen scored the first goal, immediately, a couple of minutes or three minutes later, you had Mikhail Antonio just putting one just over the bar. And the pressure was just on and on and on. And I think they just allowed Wolves no room to respond because we've seen Wolves go down before. Mm. And the surprising bit is you usually see them bounce back. They've got the players to bounce back, right? With, with, with Raul Jimenez up front and all these players you know, full of creativity and goals in them, they can bounce back. The difference was West Ham just did not allow them any room to, to, to issue that comeback. And they were absolutely dominant. Besides uh, Gerbao, and I thought Mikel Antonio was brilliant. Yeah. I thought Thomas... Uh, Suchek Suchek, was yeah. absolutely terrific yeah. as well. Um, again, I, I, whatever comes said, I really hope this is not indicative of the fact that Moyes wasn't there. Because if it is, that's, that's a lot of problems for West Ham. I, I understand David Moyes was in constant <clears throat> contact. He was literally, he was probably Zooming the whole game. Uh, not in 30-minute segments like we do for free. He probably had a pass. <laughs> <laughs> but Des Corker, what happened with Wolves here? I mean, this was a shocking result, really. A kick in the nuts for Nuno. So, West Ham United defended 5-4-1. And they, kicked, uh, they, they hit very, very um, fast on the break. 
Uh, Wolves have always been susceptible. They play a 3-4-3. Three, three. So Wolves, Wolves three at the back and West Ham's three at the back are two very different styles of play. One sits do, back do you reckon relies losing, upon the others. Sorry, do you reckon losing Jota and Doherty's weakened them? This season, uh, it doesn't strengthen them, obviously. But uh, but it was the three. It was the three at the back issue. What West Ham did really well was spring forward. They had Mikel Antonio as a guy who could really pester the uh, the, the back three and, and hold on to it. But you had a team who defended and sprung on. So the four 0 looks like West Ham were vibrant. They weren't. They were docile for a lot of the game. And then sprung. So it's really worked. But I can't see that working over a long period of time. It was a Moyes team performance. Sorry, a Moyes team um, setup. It's just the end result for once was very, very different. Wolves will bounce back, bounce back from this. West Ham, I don't think we'll go on and kick on from this because I didn't see enough from them uh, of trying to go out and win games. Again, this was one where they've tried not to lose and they've done it spectacularly well. <laughs> Wolves, went, Wolves went on to try and win this game. This was an aberration. This was a one-off. All right, brilliant stuff. Final break. Back with a midweek preview next. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For their season off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Back with Keish, with Cam and with Des. Two more games to go in round three of this brand new EPL season. Uh, Fulham are taking on Aston Villa here. I know Fulham, oh, oh, close to your heart, Cam. Uh, young oh, Scotty, <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Parker w- w- would look at this game and think, all right, we've got to get three points here. It's Aston Villa at home. Oh, oh, absolutely. But vice versa also. I am actually a big fan of Scott Parker as a player. I thought he was magnificent. I, uh, but, yeah, this is a, it's a six-pointer at the beginning of the season, is it not? The, uh, but Fulham, I, I, well, then again, Aston Villa, I don't know. It's, it's, this is the basement battle, and uh, it's, there's not much between them. But I... I Okay, I'll, I'll give I'll give Villa the edge because they've been here. They've been in the Premier League longer. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to watch it if that's anything. <laughs> <laughs> Aston Villa, Keish, are motoring along nicely. Um, they, they've won all their Carabao Cups. I think four wins. They're, they're on four wins on the bounce at the moment. The new signings: Ollie Watkins, Emmy Martinez in goal, Bertrand Traore. They're all performing. So all this going, and, and plus Grealish extending the contract, it's all going swimmingly. They might have an easier season this time around. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Ollie Watkins is a great, great signing. I think he gives them so much more upfront. Um, he, he'll, he'll definitely play a huge role. Uh, Bertrand Traore could potentially make his, his first uh, Villa appearance as well. They, you know, he, he was, I remember when Chelsea came down to Malaysia, in I think it was 2013, and Bertrand Traore was easily one of the best players on the park that night. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure. I think he got stretched off. It, it might be him. It might have been someone else. But I think he got stretched off that game. But he was Was it the Boogie Jalil pitch, was it? <laughs> it was at the Shah Alam, actually. Oh, it was um, the Shah Alam pitch. Say no yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but the problem was he didn't have a work permit at that point. He was too uh, young. Uh, yeah, I, don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. I remember that, yes. And they kept, and they kept loaning him out. And, and eventually, they sold him to Lyon. And he's, he's been great, honestly, in the French League. Um, and, and, and it's good to see him back in the Premier League. And he could be a huge, huge signing if he kicks in, if he really hits uh, you know, his, his, his Lyon form with, with Villa. I think he could be a terrific signing. But I think the bigger boost is, is you cannot underestimate how important it is for Villa to know that their captain have just, has just signed a new deal. Mm. Just, com- mm. just committing your future to the club. Putting aside all the speculations, I think that's a massive confidence boost. It puts them in a really solid position uh, for, for the rest of the season. And I think Villa could do really well this year. All right. 12.45 a.m. kickoff. That's your, your, your opener, your horses doovers. If you like, for them, you're a very sophisticated man. I am, aren't I? It's all posh here on BFM. Um, Fulham versus Aston Villa, 12.45 a.m. Des Corkill, the big one, the big one is Liverpool versus Arsenal. Uh, it's a 3 a.m. kickoff. I hate it when they make headline matches 2 a.m., 3 a.m. kickoffs because I got to get up for the school run at 7. But it's two teams, head to head, 100% record. Um, obviously, Liverpool 
I mean, they they look for it's they, they're talking about Thiago starting this one because there's a doubt over Henderson. I, as a Man United fan, I'm really looking forward to seeing Thiago start a game and boss the midfield. I understand Thiago is actually a, a potential absentee. So is Alisson. They uh, both missed uh, training and they might not be starting. Um, if, he, if he does, it will be interesting. So this will be uh, Arteta's organisation against Liverpool trying to go and win. So uh, Arsenal have redefined themselves under Mikel Arteta. They're more like George Graham, I think, than they ever were under Arsene Wenger. They do happen to have a certain Aubameyang up front, which is uh, rather useful. Um, Liverpool will try and dominate, as, as they usually do. If Thiago Alcantara does get to play, it'll be interesting to see if his different uh, metronomic like ball possession, left, right, uh, at, um, good through balls to his front three will make a difference. Like, like you, I'm interested to see what, what goes on. So it's not the blood and thunder of Liverpool anymore in reliance upon the pace and power of the front three. Uh, it'll, it'll be a little bit more artistic, which is ironically what Arsenal used to be. Should be a good game. Um, I don't see many goals in it. Uh, I can see Arteta's Arsenal stifling uh, the life out of Liverpool again and uh, maybe a draw on this one. I don't know. It will be VAR infused, wouldn't it? It'll be loads of penalties, Keith. Hope not. Hope not. <laughs> Keith, on, on, on social media, Liverpool yeah. fans are, are well are celebrating. They're really happy because of the Man City result. They've got Arsenal coming up at home. Plenty to feel uh, to smile about if you're a, if you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah, but I think they've, they've got to be concerned because that's the level of quality that's up there in the Premier League this season. I can easily imagine a scenario where Everton get a win over, over Liverpool comfortably as well. Uh, I, I think the way Liverpool, the, 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 what we've seen from Liverpool in the first couple of games indicate uh, two things. One, that other teams in the Premier League have really stepped up their games. When you've got teams like Leeds United capable of putting pressure and scoring three goals at Anfield, when you've got teams like Everton who can easily, you know, go to Anfield and get a win based on how they're playing at the moment. You look at all the other teams across Easily? the market. Well, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's possible, Des. It's possible. Easily? Easily? The way that they're playing, the way that they're playing. Take nothing away from Carlos uh, Everton at the moment. Uh, but, but obviously, Liverpool are still favourites. You, you, you cannot discount that. I just think that the sort of superiority, numerical superiority in terms of points that they had last year, I don't think that will be replicated this year. And I think it's reflected in how Jurgen Klopp is speaking about the Premier League this year as well. He knows it's going to be a lot more difficult. The, the funny thing, Ross, is that if you had pointed to me, you know, both Liverpool and Arsenal under Arteta and Klopp, and then you say, which side would Thiago Alcantara suit more? I would have pointed to Mikel Arteta's Arsenal instantly because he's perfect for, for what Arteta wants to do at Arsenal. But I think that's exactly what Liverpool need because he is so different from what they have at the moment in midfield, that's what makes it a terrific signing because he can, he can allow... I mean, Pep Linders, the, the, the Liverpool assistant coach, spoke about this at a press conference mm. recently where he says what he does is that he allows them to be unpredictable. He says that opponents are starting to figure them out. They're starting to kill their game plan in midfield. But when you have someone like Thiago, whether on the pitch or on the bench, you know that he could come on and give you that element of unpredictability and completely change how opponents have to deal with Liverpool. And I think that's why he says... Uh, Terrific, terrific signing. There, there are very few players in the world that, that put out an aura. The minute they get on the ball, you just go, yeah. that's a class player there. I don't know whether it's the way they, they, they are standing, posturing with the ball next to their foot, or <laughs> without even touching. You just go, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can tell. Cam yeah. uh, Razlan, I mean, Mikel Arteta and Arsenal, uh, it's obviously a, a work in progress here. And, and Des pointed out, they're looking a lot more solid. Future looks bright. Can they get a statement win here at Anfield? This would, I mean, three games in, albeit, blow up the season already. If they got a win, it would be, yeah, I guess it's a statement win for Arsenal, but it would say more about Liverpool if, uh, if they got a win. For me, Liverpool, there's only been one season ever where you've needed 100 points to win the, the, the Premier League. Last season, they didn't need 100 points. So you don't need to win every single match. But there's kind of like, uh, uh, you mentioned Thiago, of course, that is a change. But there's sort of a sleepwalking from last season to this season. And at, so I'm a little bit uncertain. It's been a, 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 an easy start, but they haven't been tested. So if Arsenal and Arteta can really test them, stifle them, which few people are ever able to do, 
uh, and create a boring match that are, ends with one nil to the Arsenal, then that would be uh, that would be interesting for what it says about Liverpool. I think. All right, it's a three a.m. kickoff. That one. Set your alarms. Liverpool versus Arsenal. Des, what happened in the MSL this weekend? The, the title's done, right? I mean, JDT won. They, they thrashed Langor. Uh, Satya got sacked. Um, uh, JDT were held to all by PJ City. I know. At the weekend. I saw that, right? But a, a too really, little, too really late. competitive game. Possibly, yeah, because Kedder went to Pahang, and if Kedder had uh, beaten Pahang, they could have kept the title race alive. Theoretically, it still is. But Johor can win the title if they beat Sabah at home at the Sultan Iskander Stadium uh, at the weekend on Friday. A uh, game you can see live on um, YouTube um, for Unify uh, and also on the Unify um, the TV. So it's still going on, but the race for second is fascinating. I tell you that the big surprise team are UITM. So they're a student team. They're in their first ever season in the top flight. They've got uh, the former under-23 coach, Frank Bernhardt, as coach. What he's done, he's put together some really enthusiastic uh, uh, students. They are students, I, I understand. Surrounded them with five decent foreigners, all with a good attitude. And they drew three all with Salanga, denied by a VAR-style um, <laughs> penalty decision against them in the 97th minute. But this is UITM getting yeah. the better of Salango. Uh, it was three all the end, but UITM are fourth in the table. Salango are way down. UITM have got a genuine chance of getting second place and representing Malaysia in the AFC Cup. It is an astonishing tale uh, for a team with uh, limited resources, but being superbly managed on those resources by Frank Van Hart. So, um, so the stories, yes, of course, the stories Johor, but UITM, I, I really think deserve a big, big thumbs up from Frank in particular. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Midweek Carabao Cup, Spurs take on Chelsea. Uh, Wednesday morning, our time. You've got Newport against Newcastle. Burnley against Man City. Brighton against Man United. Haven't heard that one before. Everton against West Ham. Brentford against Fulham. Aston Villa, Stoke. And what do you know? Liverpool versus Arsenal. That's Friday morning. Uh, part two. That's it. We're out of time. Uh, have yourselves a great week. Enjoy the football. I say thank you to Kishnan. Cheers, Ross. Thank you to Cam Roslan. Thank you, Ross. And have a great birthday evening, Des Corkill. My presence would be to get rid of VAR across the world. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the week, everyone. Bye-bye. Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.